Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Greg Barnes, and we're going to be talking over the Commission on College Basketball, their announcement that came out during the week. But before we get to that, how you doing, Greg? Been a busy week for you, man? It hasn't been too bad in the in the heart of uh, baseball season these days, but I uh, get to devote a lot of time to uh, some of the silliness that the NCAA puts out, and I think the Commission on College Basketball report uh, falls under that heading, but we can certainly uh, break it down. Oh yeah, definitely. It was uh, an interesting report, to, to say the least, and you know, at some point, I think that we have a scheduled deep dive on this thing with Rob Harrington, where, you know, we'll kind of really get into the weeds there and murk around a little bit. But since it came out this week, we wanted to at least get out our initial reactions. And, you know, I'll just start there. When you, when you were looking at this thing kind of as a whole, Greg, maybe, you know, that, that bird's eye view, what'd you think of this thing? Well, maybe... Um, it was uh, being naive because of you know following the NCAA for uh, I guess the last eight years with all the UNC stuff. I had some hope when the FBI announced their investigations and their arrests last year that maybe we would get some grown-up, logical, thought-provoking um, suggestions on how to really just kind of blow up the NCAA, start fresh, and get this thing on the right path. And it took Condi Rice all of 60 seconds to kind of show that that's not the case. When she gets up there, she starts talking about the major issues uh, kind of stemming from and kind of what started the federal investigation had to do with governing and leadership lapses among those who were you know, in, in position to protect the student-athletes, come on, come on. The issue has been, and it will continue to be, that there is a desire by shoe companies, by the NBA, uh, by agents, by basketball coaches who want to win, who their job, their livelihood requires that they win. All these people have a need for students. They all have a need for money. They all make money. They have money to provide. Most of these student-athletes do not. So the issue has and will always be these kids who have nothing, for the most part, being tempted by people that have money to fill uh, kind of voids that they have. you know, you got to have good kids to come in and win games or to you know, make money at the next level of the shoe deal or how, whatever it may be. So that gap is always what the issue has been. And this commission report really just kind of glosses over that and goes so far as to suggest that 
is, is on the kids to, you, you, you have to have a moral responsibility not to be tempted by all this money. Come on, give me a break. If, if this report had been done correctly, you would hear some things like, okay, look, these kids bring a lot of value to their schools. You know, such and such kid, you brings $5 million worth of revenue to his school for this sports season. Let's make sure he gets some of that money so that he's not tempted by agents, so that he's not tempted by shoe companies, that he can actually provide for his family and not have to ward off all these temptations. Let's actually think about the kids first instead of thinking about how we can continue to start our pockets. But we didn't hear any of that. We continued to hear more of the same. Uh, and so that's really a disappointment for me. And, and, and as I said, maybe that was naive of me to think that this would maybe make some better suggestions. Uh, but I did have some, some hopes that maybe that would occur. Yeah, I mean, to me, the whole scope and view of this report just seemed to be misplaced because, and we'll start on, on this specific topic where NCAA enforcement they had some sort of, I guess, suggestion that the NCAA should do something about AAU basketball and, and those shoe company sponsored events, but there was nothing specific. And they kind of said that we think the NCAA should expand its reach, but at the same time, hand off some of the actual investigating to third parties there just really wasn't anything coherent there to me at least. Yeah. And John, you're a lawyer. So you understand all the, the nuance here, but the greatest issue that the NCAA has, and we saw it throughout the UNC case is that they have zero subpoena power, none. Mm -hmm. um, and so if they want somebody to talk, they have to go ask very nicely. And the way that they have done this over the years, if they said, you know what, we can't force somebody to talk. So we're going to completely screw the program to make the program get the kid to talk. There was a, a great uh, story, it's a tragic one years ago with Kentucky baseball, where a kid had some conversations with an agent, and it ended up being nothing severe. But because he would not talk to the NCAA about it, the NCAA threatened to kill that program season because he had played, and therefore the entire season was going to be wiped clean. Those kids were not going to be able to play in the postseason. So they do that kind of stuff all the time. And that's the only subpoena power they have. It's kind of a made up, but like we're going to punish everybody if this one person won't talk. And so that extends far beyond just NCAA investigations. I mean, you want to get into AAU conversations? You want to get those people to show you their finances? Come on. That's like the, the same suggestions with the shoe companies, right? So we need to have some transparency with shoe companies to make sure they're not actually making these illegal payments. How in the world are you going to do that yeah. at the NCAA level? You're not. I mean, you're just blowing smoke and nobody believes it. Now, if you want to get into something where you want to you know, get the federal uh, agencies involved to, they, to where they do that, at that point, you would actually have some legitimacy. That would never happen, I don't think. I don't think the FBI cares that much. Although I guess I could be wrong there. But the NCAA has, has no power in getting anybody to be transparent other than their member institutions. And so a lot of these things, like you mentioned, with the AAU being more up forthcoming and uh, the shoe companies being more forthcoming, that's just a pipe dream. Yeah, and the FBI, I mean, the whole thing that really spurned all this is 
they know that money's being exchanged and uh, it's not being taxed. I mean, the government's got their hand in this cookie jar because, you know, they want their slice of the pie. I mean, let's be real about it. But, right. you know, this report just didn't even really address anything about money, which I mean, is, is at the root of everything here. And you know, one of the most outlandish things I, I saw, and of course, certain you know individuals within the state-run um, newspaper organizations, I'll put it that way, you know, harped on that one of the footnotes seemed to imply that the NCAA should get involved in the classrooms, which, I mean, you talk about just a ludicrous suggestion that, I mean, in, in no realm is the NCAA even remotely equipped to try to say, all right, we're now going to test and tell you if your academic courses are rigorous enough for student athletes. Yeah, absolutely. And they know that. I mean, Mark Emmert has been up front over the years saying, we have no business whatsoever going into a classroom. Because think about it. When you go into, you go into a university, you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to not only tell the instructor what should count, I'm telling his boss, the dean. And then we're going up into the admin, up to the president, and then we're going to get to the chancellor. So we're going to tell all those people how these classes need to be. Now, we have no clue what the classes are about. We have no clue how they're set up or what they're designed to do. But we're going to take our opinion, which, as you said, we don't have a lot of experience in, and we're going to tell them how these things need to take place. That is laughable. Either you're going to allow the institutions to handle these matters themselves, which has always been the case, or you're just going to get out of it completely. And I think, I think that should have been the suggestion, is that the NCAA does a great job with tournaments. They run beautiful tournaments. And the NCAA tournament is great, right? Mm-hmm. And they do a pretty good job with initial eligibility and maybe eligibility when kids transfer. That's about it, right? I'm sure there's some other things in there that they do good, but academics is not part of them. Now, if there's blatant cheating, which we have seen, right? I mean, if, there, if there's pure fraud going on where you know that you know that teachers or coaches are giving student athletes grades or tests and say, here, just turn this in. And you have records of that, like the FSU fraud case a few years ago. That's pretty cut and dry. That's pretty easy. But when you get into this uh, need to interpret, which is what we saw with the UNC case, there's a reason there was three notice of allegations. It's because the NCAA could not figure out how to bend the rules to make it fit this case. The only reason they got into that case was because of media pressure after Weinstein. And they got into it and they said, um, all right, we're going to have to figure out, we're going to have to massage this to make it fit. And each time they did it, UNC's legal team said, nope, that does not work within the scope of the bylaws. If you want to punish us, fine. All right, if we're, if we're guilty in this situation, punish us. But you're going to do it by the rules. You're not going to do what happened at Penn State when you went way over your jurisdiction and punished them for, for no reason that you had. And the NCAA ultimately did the right thing, which is surprising to me. But they ultimately said, okay, we've tried this three times. We know we can't actually hit UNC with anything for the bylaws. And so we're going to have to let them go here. Now, that is a def- different argument, which is what some of the issues with some of the you know, local media at times is – if you want to make the case that the rules should change so that UNC could have been penalized, that's fine. But that is a completely different topic. The rules that are in place are what we have to go by. 
And so that's kind of what Condi's saying is, well, you know, now we, we should have the opportunity where we think that there's academic fraud going on. The universities have to be held accountable. They've always been held accountable. You can't just circle this one situation and say that's not true. UNC is one of the greatest academic institutions in the world. And we're going to say that they don't care about academic fraud? Come on. So, again, that's another one that it sounds good, but when you actually try to apply it, there's no way to do it uh, logistically. Well, and when you're talking about the bylaws, too, this, com- this commission report said nothing about, you know, trying to do healthy NCAA maybe make sense of those bylaws. I mean, you're talking about an organization that purports to have the best interest of the kids, you know, in mind. But as you guys said on your podcast with Tommy and Ross on Tuesday of this week, when a UNC player was, you know, suing the NCAA, they said, we don't care about you. And that was basically their entire thing. We have no case. You have no standing. And their bylaws are just a mess. I mean, they really do talk out of both sides of their mouth. And I didn't see anything in here that the committee said, hey, maybe you guys should, you know, honestly take a moment to step back, look at what's working, look at what's not, and come up with something that is actually functional. Right. And again, this is kind of a kind of a big idea type thing that they tried to do. Like here, here's some ideas. Here's here's the grand scope of what we're looking for. We're not going to help you figure out exactly how to do it. You know, we're going to give you a few ideas. But you're exactly on point. And like <clears throat> one, one point we tried to make throughout the NCAA case is there were a couple times when UNC athletes sued the NCAA and therefore they had to sue UNC. Michael McAdoo is a great example. And people say, well, why is he suing UNC? What's he got against UNC? He had to sue UNC because the only way that McAdoo could get to the NCAA is by suing UNC as well. UNC essentially was the middleman. And if he had just sued the NCAA, they would have thrown that out because he has no ties to the NCAA. The only tie he has to the NCAA is that when a student athlete signs their life away, they sign away their right, their likeness-like image. So any, anything that the NCAA wants to use to make money off that player, they can. But the player is saying, you know what? We're joining this institution. We're joining this uh, membership, the NCAA. And so by doing that, we're signing away all of our rights. That's pretty much the only connection players have with the NCAA. And so in these court cases, the reason that the schools are always sued along with the NCAA is it has to be that way. And there were some situations, and I can't get into pure specifics of it, but there are certain situations where UNC played along with the student-athlete in question to make sure that the student-athlete had a legitimate option of hearing, getting their voices heard, even though it was UNC that was being sued. I mean, how, how messed up is that? That just speaks to how the NCAA bylaws are kind of construed against the, against the kids. And to your point, none of that was really addressed. None of that's really mentioned. This is all basically just kind of, hey, the NCAA, we like your system. We want to just make a few small changes instead of it being, we got to blow this thing up because it is a mess. Yeah, and two of the more specific things that the report did say that I thought were, frankly, ridiculous, were, <laughs> that's kind of the, the theme of this podcast, is that they said for coaches that were found guilty, I think they said of major infractions, 
they supported a lifetime for cause, which would basically be a lifetime ban. And I think they also proposed what was it a five year postseason ban on on programs? Greg wasn't weren't, weren't those two the specific things that the commission suggested to kind of beef up the NCAA punishment ability? Right, and I don't necessarily have an issue with the coaching dynamic there. I mean, if you have hardcore evidence that says this coach purposefully went out of his way to pay players to do these things illegally just to gain an advantage. I'm okay with having that conversation. Now, I do think a lifetime is, you know, that's pushing it. You know, if you want to make it severe as in 10 years, which is essentially lifetime anyway for a lot of these guys, I think we could have that discussion. But when you start getting into five-year postseason ban, I mean, come on, that is a death penalty. That's all that is. Yeah, I mean, it's hard enough to recruit when you've got a one-year postseason ban. Five years? When you start that five-year ban, good luck getting any kid who's decent to play at your program because they, they will never go to the postseason. So your, your program is effectively dead for a couple years. You may as well just shut it down. Um, and I think they need to get away from that. And that also gets into the fact of, We've seen it in UNC's case. We've seen it in all these other cases. A lot of times, the culprits are long gone by the time the penalties come down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the Marvin Austins, the Greg Littles, you know, they were gone by the end of 2010. Yet it was a 2012 team that got penalized. And, I mean, none of those kids did anything wrong. Larry Fedora didn't do anything wrong. So why are they getting punished? And that's one thing I have a, a hard time with is – I understand that you have to penalize programs. I understand that. Uh, You have to have some kind of uh, reason for teams not to cheat. But when you're hurting innocent kids um, as a way of doing it, I I don't know what the answer is there, uh, but I don't like that aspect of it. And my kind of take on it was if this commission is trying to put forward suggestions that they think are reasonable and would be accepted, I mean, what program, what university is going to agree that, hey, we could expose our coach to a lifetime ban, we could expose our programs to five-year postseason bans, which, like you said, are basically death penalties. And, I mean, I think they were even talking about going up the chain and going after university presidents, which, I mean, come on now. That's what what university is going to agree to these. I mean, that's that's not reasonable. That's not something that is actually going to address any of the issues facing the NCAA right now. Right. And, and again, it gets back to what we talked about to begin with, is if we live in this uh, amateurism model bubble, which is effectively what the NCAA has, we have, to, we have to entertain these thoughts that instead of addressing the issue, which is money, we're going to make it such a big deal that we're going to bring university presidents and chancellors into it. I mean, come like you said. I mean, come on. I mean, this is not even the idea that the NCAA could go into universities, reputable universities, and try to punish them or try to tell them how to do things. Uh, somebody on Twitter said, "You know, there would be a faculty revolt. It wouldn't be a revolt. They would laugh at them. Nobody would take that seriously." Uh, and so, I, I, some of it is the NCAA. Uh, is a little bit too big for the britches, 
But I think more than anything is that they are married to this idea that we have free talent that we can exploit without having to pay them a lot. And now they make the big deal. Of, oh, you know, we had the cost of living stipends. I mean, that's that's a big deal. We're talking a couple hundred dollars a month for these kids. Really? That's going to make a big deal. And that, that brings us to the, the, the other point that they, they really harped on, John, is, is the one-and-done deal. Yeah. Um, with that being a factor in terms of helping um, change some of these, these money issues, trying to address them. And while I agree that we should get rid of the one-and-done, um, I agree for a different reason. I think I think we should get rid of the one and done solely because I think kids should have the right to go play if they're capable of playing. If you can, you know, if if you as a lawyer, John, if somebody came to you your junior year and said, you know what, even before you get your degree, I'm going to offer you $250,000 to come work for me. And you would have to say, yeah, you know what, I would love to, I would love that money, but I actually can't because I'm not allowed to because of this silly rule that I have to you know, get my degree first. I mean, you would be outraged. All of us would be. Oh, yeah. But that's the system we have set up, right? And so I think that's the reason to get rid of the one and done. But in listening to how the commission talks about it, I mean, they're talking about, hey, you know, all these you know, elite kids, these top 10 kids, everybody wants them. They're the ones that shoe companies are throwing money at. They're the ones that these agents are just drooling over. So if we get them out of the mix, well, that's going to solve this money issue. Except that when you actually look at what happened in the FBI investigation, which is what this commission was supposed to be doing, you would realize that they're actually wrong. Because, I mean, when you start looking at the kid from Louisville, the Bowen kid, he was like a you know, fringe top 25 kid. He's not going to be an NBA legend. and Silvio De Souza from Kansas. How much did he play this year? Right, he came off the bench. He, he averaged, what, like four points a game? And yet he's getting paid. So if players of that level, I mean, we're talking like top 50, top 100 level, if those are the guys that are getting paid, doesn't that completely blow up their argument that it's really only the top 10 guys? You would I mean, think so, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean the, the money tentacles run so deep that even if you get rid of the one and done, so you, you shave off the top 10 guys, let's say, well, there's still money there, and there's still a reason for college basketball programs to win because there's a lot of revenue there. So what happens with that money? It goes to the 10 through 20 guys. It's not going to just vanish because the top 10 guys are no longer there. There's still basketball being played. Uh, and so I, I just think I think the light, the lack of, uh, I mean, I like Condi Rice, I do, but the lack of just kind of rational thought with how it should be applied to the NCAA model was kind of astonishing with this. I mean, I, I expected some forward-thinking ideas, how to change this, how to make this. I mean, I, I, we could have a long conversation, John, on how kids should be paid, right? None of us really know the answer, but I think you, know, I think a group that I've heard, and I think this is a good idea, is if a shoe company is willing to pay a kid, to, to wear their shoes at, to say, at, at UNC, right? Then you, you make a formal contract and you say, okay, we're going to pay you $100,000 a year. But the way this deal works is because we are trying to be transparent here, we're going to pay you, and the university gets a cut of that money. 
And that money can go and help some of the other sports. So everything's on the up and up. Kids get paid. There's none of this black market need. I think there's a lot of conversations to be had there. But we're not having those conversations with the people that actually need to be having those conversations. It's, it's journalists and talking heads that are having these legitimate conversations while the NCAA and, and this commission apparently you know, have their head in the ground. Well, their solution of having freshmen be ineligible, I mean, you yeah. talk about, I mean, that would have a lawsuit filed against it so fast. And if, it's, if, it's regressive. I mean, we're going back, what, 40 years, 50 years? Yeah, if not longer by now. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's just, I mean, come on now. Um, I think, honestly, when you're talking about the one and done thing and everything like that, and you know, Sherelle posted on the message board about how it's, just not really this boogeyman that the NCAA and, and, like you said, certain talking heads really want to make it out to be. The NBA and, and Nate Silver, I mean, they are really moving in a smart way with their G League and, you know, how they're really positioning themselves to look at as if they're the ones that are really caring for the kids in light of the NCAA's just complete inability to even address the reality of the situation. Yeah, and I think Adam Silver, to your point, has put out Adam some good Silver. ideas. I said Nate yeah. Silver. <laughs> that, the, yeah, that's the um, that's guy from, from 538. 538. Yeah, right. Adam right. Silver. <laughs> They're both I'm really sure smart, got, though. <laughs> right. I'm sure he's got opinions on it as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think that some of the ideas they've put out are good, and I think you're exactly right that, that with the G League, um, I think if they, if they really build that up so that it is more of a farm system, um, I, I think that is very beneficial. And I think that you know, would potentially take some stress off the, the college game. Um, it's still not going to address some of, these, some of these issues that have been lingering. Uh, but I think that's forward thinking to say, hey, you know, in NFL, for example, they've got their rules set up where they have a bona fide farm system with college football. Kids have to be there for three years. So you get three years worth of tape. I mean, that, you can't ask for a better farm system than that. You're not going to get that in college basketball. So how much do you actually learn in one year at the college level versus if you allow these kids to come out after their, their senior year in high school, go straight to the G League, where you actually have your own coaches, your own scouts, teaching your style of game, um, what's, what's the benefit difference? And I, I think the fact that the Silver is really considering that, I think I think that is a good thing, and I think that that would be beneficial for a lot of these kids. And it also goes to the fact that we still have to remember, you have to have decent grades to be able to play at the college level, right? I mean, we, we've all probably heard stories of you know, guys that played on random playgrounds, whether it be in New York or or locally, who were just studs, but they just did not have the grades to go to be able to go play at at the college level. Um, and so if you if you allow these kids opportunities just to go straight to the G League without having to need anything other than you know, maybe a, a high school diploma, maybe that opens the door for, for more of these kids to be able to, to kind of groove their path as well. Definitely agree with that. And you know, you're really expanding an opportunity there for some kids that could make money for themselves that otherwise that opportunity would not be there. Let's close it out, Greg, with the final thing that I wanted to discuss with you briefly. Um, one of the well rare things I thought that the commission kind of maybe had a good idea with was the prospect of allowing undrafted guys to return to college. 
I think that there's a little bit of merit in that. I think it would be a bit chaotic for programs. I'm not sure how coaches would feel about that. But I, I think that that was one of the few things where I kind of nodded my head a little bit and thought, okay, maybe that's something that we could have a discussion on. And, you know, that I could see some positives for the actual athletes coming out of that. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, to your point, that, that's getting in the realm of, okay, how can we help these kids? Which is what this should be about. And that is helping the kids. If a, if a kid thinks he's ready to go pro, I mean, you know, he's 19, he doesn't know any better, he puts his name in the draft, has high hopes, doesn't get drafted. What does he do now? Um, so I think the fact that you're actually saying, okay, well, how can we help this kid? Because you know, education is in, invaluable. Um, I, I think that is a, a good thing. I think you're exactly right about that. Now, uh, as you mentioned, I think some coaches would have issues with that because back in, let's see here, I guess it was 2008, um, I went down to the, the Milk House in Orlando where they had the uh, draft combine. And it was that year that, that Wayne Ellington and, and Ty Lawson went down there and I did it. And it was actually, I remember the time because I was in Jacksonville, Florida, for the ACC baseball tournament, which is always over Memorial Day. And then I drove from Jacksonville down to Orlando because the, the combine was that following week. So we're talking the first week of June is when the combine was at that point in time, so 10 years ago. Uh, and one of the reasons that the combine has been moved up a month is because college coaches, and Roy Williams was kind of in on this, saying that's very late in the process. At some point, we have to have an understanding of what our roster is going to be before you know, all the recruiting periods dry up and all these kids are, are signed. Um, so that is a le legitimate concern. You know, how do you handle that? How, how do you move the, uh, the calendar up enough to satisfy these legitimate coaches' needs versus you know, helping kids that maybe make poor decisions, helping them stay eligible? Um, because I mean, the other part of it too, is if a kid decides he wants to go pro coaches are saying, all right, well, I've got an extra scholarship to fill. So they'll sign somebody. And then that kid goes to the draft, doesn't get drafted. Now, does he come back to school? But there's no scholarships. So you, how do you work those issues out? Um, but, but I think you're exactly right that that is the type of forward thinking we need. I think that's a good conversation to have and you could probably iron out how to fix it. But there should have been a lot more of that type of thinking as opposed to some of these other uh, some of these other conversations that I don't think accomplished much of anything. Definitely agree there. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up though, Greg. Um, and like I said, I think you know we'll try to get Rob Harrington on here. I mean, he's you and he are kind of the IC resident experts when it comes to really getting through these long drawn out NCAA documents. So um, I'd be looking forward to that, and I think the the readers would too. Yeah, it should be fun. Rob, uh, all you uh, legal guys have got to step on me. I'm just a, uh, just a journalist, but uh, oh, yeah. I like being in y'all's presence. Y'all make me feel smarter about myself. Of course, man. Now, the, the way that, that you just kind of dug into this NCAA stuff, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's murky, that, and, and that's putting it lightly. That's a, that's a good word for it, John. All right. Well, we will be back later on then, and from everyone here at Inside Carolina, Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.